I'm a friend of Sarah Connor. I was told that she's here. Could I see her, please? No, can't see her. She's making a statement. Where is she? Look, it may take a while. I want to wait. There's a bench over there. I'll be back. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, Take Me to Your Lawyer, where we discuss litigious adapted science fiction at its very best and most expensive. I'm Colin Kusky. I'll be your host. I'm James. I'm Seth. So, I guess recently we, we haven't been doing our original formula for a while. I guess we did uh, Ready Player One. That was our kind of our original True. thing. Yeah. Uh, Fahrenheit 451 was a, an addendum to an earlier episode, but we've been doing a lot of just sort of not quite our standard thing, and this is another not quite our standard thing, but it's something that we've talked about doing because there's this famous, I'm not even sure it was ever a lawsuit, um, but there was, no. a, there was some kind of case that was settled out of court. Yes. Yes. By Harlan Ellison against the producers of The Terminator. Right. Orion Pictures. Orion Pictures, yes. Pretty contentious. You know, Harlan Ellison can be a little irascible, I think. Um, and he has such a broad selection of works. He's he very covers, prolific. Yeah, he's very prolific. And he covers yeah. a lot of ground. And so there's a lot of things that he seems to think derived from his works. Mm-hmm. And he is more than happy to have his lawyers go talk to people and say, by the way, <laughs> we think this is adapted or rips off something. Right. Um, because I don't think that anybody's arguing that the Terminator is actually adapted from Soldier. Right. No. But that it takes something from it. Mm-hmm. And and I don't even know, you know, what happens in, in the legal process with... I mean, we talked about this in the context of Arena, right? Where... Mm-hmm. The legal people went and looked, and they're like, you know, we think that there's a credible case here. Right. This could be taken as an adaptation of that story, so let's find the guy and pay him. Yep. Which is a better thing to do. And Harlan Ellison has said, if Cameron would have come to me and said, hey, I've got this movie idea, and it bears some tiny little resemblance to Soldier, mm-hmm. you okay with it? He says he would have been just like, yeah, sure, fine. Yeah. Easy to say. Right. Who knows? Yeah. So I think, and this is just my opinion... That we should do something very similar to what we did with Arena, or the people who evaluated Arena against the original story for the the Star Trek adaptation, and see if we can nail down what we think are the essentials of the story, Soldier from Tomorrow, and the essentials from Terminator, and do a comparison, right? and and try and see how how close they are. It might be more fruitful to just do them... from you know, like what what are the essentials of Terminator and then see where how much those pop up in the outer limits. True. But and make sure you, so we're doing the essentials of Soldier, not Soldier from Tomorrow. Soldier from Tomorrow is the story, Soldier is the Outer Limits episode. True. And yeah. s- the Outer Limits episode is what is part of what was part of the litigation. Right. Okay. Should we take a crack at the story? Sure. Yeah. You mean should I take a crack at the story? Mr. Ralston. <laughs> oh, very nice. Yes, so what are the essentials? I mean, of, of any bit of this? Uh, soldier, from soldier the traveling back from back in time from the future. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much it. That that is kind of it, right? Um, I would say if we if we wanted to say that Soldier, the Outer Limits episode, was right. the, the gold standard by which we were going to measure everything else, there should be an element of linguistics as well. Right? Both both the story and the Outer Limits episode have a linguist being the one right. talking. To a philologist, right? and it, yeah, not a linguist, a philologist. It's the same. <laughs> <laughs> but th- there are a lot of philologists in older <laughs> science fiction. That that word was very popular. Um, yeah, that that's what the main character in. Um, C.S. Lewis, Space Trilogy, was a philologist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You haven't read those? Right. No. Okay. So you think it's important to have a philologist? Well, or at least, I guess, uh, the soldier from the future has to be 
taken into custody at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the the, the, the language thing should make an appearance in some way. Anything else? What do you think? Advanced yeah. weaponry? Would we say? I mean, because that's a, that's a major part, right? Because they want right. to exploit this guy for, at least in the story, they want to, you know, use his knowledge, more or less. Use his knowledge of the future. Anti-war message? I think it's bigger, more of an anti-war message than a, let's take advantage of uh, equipment from the future. Sure. Right. Yeah, nice. I don't, I don't think the I don't think the equipment for the future was such a a big point. No, and, and it's really more yeah. the mechanic of how the anti-war message came through. Right, and and you can do that differently, and and still, at least from my perspective, you can adapt it differently, but still have the anti-war right. message using different moving parts. Right. Um, so so you have a soldier traveling back through time. Mm-hmm. We have he gets taken into custody by some authoritative body of some sort. Mm-hmm. Interrogated. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I think James has a different definition of interrogate than we do. How much rum is in that coffee? <laughs> Enough. <laughs> what, was the, what was the third one yet? Have we gotten there? Well, if we're going off Soldier, the Outer Limits, Limits episode, then there should be his enemy as well from the future. Right. Because that is a factor. True. Okay. I'll go with you on that one. And then there's the the defense, right? He 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 defends something that he comes to love in the past. Mm. I think is I think that's a big portion because it's it kind of gives an arc to him. He's he's right learned. I, I mean I, I don't know if he's uh, what's what I'm looking for. Explicitly come to recognize the love hate that he was trying to that Kagan right. was trying to teach him, but I think he. Well, that brings up something that because you, you showed us a video, right? Right. The emotionless soldier from the future is another. Right. Bit, right. We're not going to be able to keep track of any of these because nobody's writing anything down. Well, no, no, but we're, we've got, got four. Yeah. Um, I want to disagree with the point about coming to love it because the episode itself, it's scripted in there, said, yeah. did he defend the family because of coming to no, love it? No, okay, I wouldn't say coming to love it. That's, I guess that's not really what I was... That's not the point I was trying to make. The fourth point I was trying to make is he's defending something in the past. But still, they the, the question was asked, did he defend the family because right. he thought they were... Like True. him, yeah. or because he was told to kill the enemy, right? Hmm. Who told him to kill the? But enemy? that was but it the cats. Okay, so what? <laughs> what are the the four things we said? Soldier from the future. Are you writing this down? Yeah, it, okay. it, it makes sense too. Sure, somebody's got to do it. That's emotionless? What she said. Are we going to say emotionless or you know caught? No, I'll just say soldier from the future. Let's keep it. Okay, fairly from general. The future, then what? Second point was taken into custody by an authoritarian authoritative body. Custody. Uh, number three was he has an enemy. Enemy. There's an enemy and not enemy. Okay. And number four, the ambiguous defense of something. Okay. Of thing. All right. That's pretty bare bones. Yeah. So it's a, it's a low bar. I, I think what, what we're looking for here is a low bar that possibly Terminator could possibly get, but right. we'll, we'll see what we think. Okay. I think I can make a case for Terminator in all four of those points. <laughs> yeah. He, he steered it right into it. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you use the correct formula, you know, you get the right yeah. answer. I might, I might literally be almost yeah, begging the question here. Because <laughs> I know the answer. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. You're, you're, you're closer than yeah. usual to, to begging the question. All right. So. Okay. So we're, we're talking about the story. The story is from it's it's in many uh, many more anthologies than I initially thought because I was looking yep. for Soldier from the Future. Right? No, dang it, Soldier, Soldier from, from Tomorrow. tomorrow. See, mm-hmm. I gave Colin a hard time Jinx. earlier, which <laughs> may not in fact be the case. 
<laughs> um, I expect a supercut of Soldier from Tomorrow, Soldier from the Future, from all three of us yes. at the very end of this going, well, boom, boom, boom. Soldier boom, from boom. the Futuristic Tomorrow. Exactly. So I, I initially looked up on ISFTB looking mm-hmm. for anthologies, as uh, we usually do, because our library has quite a right. big collection of science fiction, lots of times. Sometimes. Um, sometimes. Occasionally. Right. Maybe. So anyhow, I looked it up, and it was in like the original magazine it appeared in, mm-hmm. and one anthology that our library didn't have. And so I'm like, well, right. sorry, guys, we're not going to be able to find it, except right. I found it on archive.org. Mm-hmm. And then Colin searched for just soldier and found a bazillion places. <laughs> of course, then our library still didn't have. Right. Right. But it did pick, kick up the name where James found it at Powell's Bookstore. Yes. This is true. Yep. Yep. It's always good. Powell's is a good thing. Yeah, yes. I like Powell's. Yes. Powell's. You should visit your friendly local bookstore with actual paperback books in it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we have all read that story. Mm-hmm. I don't remember when it came out exactly, and normally we have this kind of information. Do you have it? It's in 1957. Nice. Right. In what magazine? Fantastic Universe. Sweet. Yes. And I, I did spend some time checking to see if there are online archives, because a lot of those science fiction magazines from that era mm-hmm. did not did not uh, renew their copyrights, and so they, they quietly expired. Oh, okay. So. So, Soldier, what's it about? Or, I mean, sorry, Soldier from Tomorrow. That's right. what we should, even though it's been published under both <laughs> names, let's call it Soldier from Tomorrow just so that we can keep it straight. Yep. Uh, Soldier from Tomorrow is a two-person perspective story. Perspective one is from our person from the future, Carlo, uh, who is, uh, he is a soldier. He only is ex- exists to be a soldier. He is a weapon of war. That's all that he is. Uh, he is psychically controlled to attack and, and do things when he's told to. And he wanders onto a battlefield and gets zapped back into the past. Right. And then we begin to get a little bit of perspective two, mm-hmm. which is our friendly local philologist mm-hmm. and maybe FBI agent, as they're trying to figure out what he says and what he is. He was not an FBI agent in the story. What in was the he? Short story. He was from the university. Okay. Just coming into because he was a, he was a long haired hippie in the story. That's true. <laughs> oh, they probably hated him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they they quickly determine that they really can't exploit him. <clears throat> Which is trains, trains and trains. The philologist has the idea that maybe they can use him as an example of uh, what sustained war will do to people. And so he holds a bunch of seminars where people can come in and listen to Carlo talk about how bad war is. Right. Yeah. Clear anti-war message. Mm -hmm. Yes. Let's not go this way. Let's change the future. Right. Changing the future possibility. That, That doesn't really exist in the... Outer limits thing. Right? No, no. Okay. no. Uh, yeah, was, I was uh, one of the things I know is the The short story is very or novella, I guess, very uh, anti-war message. Yes, mm-hmm. and even in, it seemed like in in Ellison's introduction, he meant it to be that way. Yes, absolutely. And then when he rewrites it for the screen, it doesn't really come across that way to me anyway. I, I think that it's still there, just because anytime you introduce an element of, by the way, in the future, we're all soldier, you know, automata, essentially, mm-hmm. programmed to kill and and have lost all human connection. That's, mm-hmm. you know, true. that's a warning. Right. At least. So Yeah. It, you know, so maybe we should transition to the Outer Limits episode. Yeah. So it this was... This is our, uh, what, third Outer Limits episode that we've done? So we did the iRobot. Actually, Check. no, fourth, because we did two iRobot Adaptations, the, oh, the classic All one right. and the remake. Yes. Both of True. which featured Leonard Nimoy, which is awesome. Yes. And then we did uh, Fun and Games for the Arena episode. So, right. Because we were going to do the summer of the Twilight Zone, <laughs> which we probably should be doing right now. I guess now, we but, are. But then James is like, no, let's do the Terminator thing. <laughs> well, that's Twilight Zone, so there you go. Yeah. Stop thinking of cool ideas that he likes better than that. I know. 
<laughs> no, the outer limits. It's a, it's a close approximation. True. Okay, anyhow. Indeed. Episode. Episode one of season two. Yeah, classic Outer Limits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, starring Michael Ansara, I think was his name, who played Kane. It was Kane, Killer Kane in um, Buck Rogers. There were yes. two actors who played him, actually. There were two different actors. And th- there was a different actor in the miniseries that started, the movie that started Buck Yes. Rogers. But, um, yeah. And then he played, uh, I think, Commander Kang, the Klingon. Right, Klingon, yeah. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. In the Star Trek episode where they're invaded by the shimmering light thing that makes the Klingons fight the the Federation people with swords and they can, yeah. mm-hmm. you, you can't ever die. Well, he was in Deep Space Nine, too, reprising that role. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, good, solid working actor. <laughs> yep. Good stuff. Uh, also, Dr. Hewer from Buck Rogers. I don't know the guy's name and I don't care. Okay. <laughs> He's been in a ton of stuff. But. Uh, Lloyd Nolan. Okay. Right. Yeah, so what's the difference? I mean, this is interesting to me for uh, on an adaptational level, because this mm-hmm. is not an adaptation done by someone else. This is Harlan Ellison adapting his story right. a few years later into a television medium. Mm-hmm. And, and a funny little tidbit from that um, that intro to it that you had us read, James, is he got $91 for the publication of the story. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then he got something like five grand for the adaptation. To do the, yeah, do the screen, yeah. right, yeah. And he, he began that blurb by talking about how people thought he had he'd sold out, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, he'll never write for paper again. Right. <laughs> you know, and I guess there's a certain level of prestige in doing that. Although nowadays, with the Saturn Awards and the Golden Globes and the other mm-hmm. awards that recognize writing for television and other media, mm-hmm. it's it's pretty prestigious to get one of those awards. Yeah. So, major differences between the story and the episode. The introduction of cats. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, it turns out in the episode, cats are used alongside of humans, and they're used as scouts. And the telepathic COs check out what the cats see and then tell all the soldiers. Mm. So, they get like advanced battlefield scouting. Um, it, it's funny because... Uh, the philologist takes Carlo home, and Carlo sees a cat, and he right. runns over to the cat. Now, Michael Ansara is a big guy. I don't know how they got the cat to stay on the couch. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and then he starts talking to the cat. Yes. So I said it's a spiritual prequel to... Oh, no, I know. Uh, the Cat from Outer Space is a... Actually, I don't know what... Uh, I think the Cat from Outer Space comes afterwards. Um, oh, certainly. It's a, it's colored by Disney. That's right. Uh, what else is different? The anti-war message is different. It is different. Yeah. Because... Here it's there's still the example of we're still fighting in the future, mm-hmm. um, but they don't have the I'm going to parade this guy around, and and show him to people you know do seminars and and that kind of thing. Right. So what is the anti-war message in the short story? In the episode or the short story? episode? I didn't really get one myself. Besides yeah. what you had mentioned, I suppose. Right. That it's just it's an example of. Yeah. By the way, here's our future, mm-hmm. which kind of sucks. Right. To me, it seemed like it was personified by Carlo himself. In the short story, mm-hmm. you kind of got the idea that he adapted to the time he was now living in. Mm-hmm. And then they could share these stories about how horrible the future is. And he's got his big projecting right. forehead to show that he's different, right? Mm-hmm. Carlo is is noticeably human in yes. the episode. Mm-hmm. But uh, he eats garbage. He says he doesn't understand emotions like love and hate. He was raised in a hatchery and that everything is for the state. Right. And that only two kind of people exist. Yeah. People like him and the enemy. Right. Enemy, right. not enemy. Sure. Right. Very binary. And so it's it's his alienation from mm-hmm. the family and the fact that he's a constant threat. He breaks out of a, of a st- safe place to go get a gun because right. all soldiers need guns. Right. Yes. 
I think the the closest thing there is to an anti-war message really is when the philologist guy is talking to him and he's he's basically talking about the government and how we we get our orders from the government and I can't remember what the what the line was but you know it's just a little bit mm. of an eye roll about yeah they don't really know more than we do but we get our mess- <laughs> we, we get our orders from them <laughs> right yeah. so which is very kind of Harlan Ellison I think oh yeah I will say I feel like the adaptation of the sped up language is not very effective. At, le- at least for me, I, I you know, I think it was a mistake to have him use the word name at the beginning, because mm-hmm. in the in the story he just says his name and rank and serial number super fast, and it's it's written in kind of broken words, right. so you can't really necessarily recognize it at first. And then once he explains it, you're like, okay, yeah, I can see that. Where in the show, I feel like you can definitely say, or you can definitely tell that he's saying name is this. Nemesis. Yeah. Yes. Nemesis. Um, so, so yeah, I've, I felt like that wasn't necessarily a super effective adaptation of that. It, like, it worked better in print than, than on screen, but mm. it's okay. I peep you. <laughs> Was that in the, in the episode? Oh, it's in the episode, yeah. Okay. Oh. I, full confession here. Full confession. I watched this episode a number of years ago after hearing about the whole lawsuit. Thing. I watched it and Demon with the Glass uh. Hand. And so today we gathered at James's house to watch it. We started watching it, whereupon my son called me and said, by the way, uh, <laughs> my battery's dead and I need to get to swim practice. <laughs> so, so I had to go give him a jump uh, and then come back here and record. So I only, right. I only saw a little bit of the episode. Okay. Yeah. So it's not very fresh in my mind. I saw the beginning and the end. <laughs> the philologist ends up taking him home mm-hmm. and uh, begins to try to adapt him, but really to right. spend more time with him learning the language. Mm-hmm. But his family ends up picking up some of Carlo's mannerisms mm-hmm. and, and speak. Oh, nice. And yeah. it just... I think they did it for a while, and then the son said like several things all back to back, and it finally clicked what was going on. It's like mm-hmm. they're actually learning each other's language. Mm-hmm. Right. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it makes sense that a kid would pick it up faster anyway. Yes. I don't necessarily buy that however far in the future this is, it's still recognizably English, just because you think about what English right. was like four or five hundred years ago. So it depends on how far in the future it was. Yeah. Or, or even 200 years and, ago. And, I mean, it does make a difference in the information age, right? We we have written down words. We have... That's true. Yeah. Instantaneous communication, that kind of stuff, to keep our language from drifting as much as it otherwise might. Right. Um, where before, if you could be in little isolated pockets speaking the same language, over a couple right. of generations, all of a sudden you're speaking Swedish and Norwegian. My, my sister, who's into linguistics and is a teacher of English... Um, She's a philologist? She is essentially a philologist, yes. <laughs> Excellent. Um, she says that one of the kind of quotes about what a language is, is a dialect with an army. Oh, interesting. Because <laughs> there's not really a fine line between dialect and language. So what else would you say? Oh, the introduction of the second person coming into the past. That's, right. that's something very, very different in the episode. Yes. So in the... Oh, yes. And, right, and help right. me out here, so I'm probably not going to have all this. The enemy soldier. Right. In the story... Uh, Carlo gets hit by like dozens of beams that all converge on the same place, which rips right. a hole through space time and puts him in the past. Mm-hmm. In the episode, they each get hit by one beam. They both get thrown into the past. No, they get hit by two. They get yeah, hit. it was still yeah. a convergence of beams. It was a convergence. It was two. It, there, it, there was a beam for each of them, but it was yeah. the, a convergence of beams. They cross streams. Okay. Carlo gets sent back immediately all in one piece. The enemy gets sent back right. in two chunks. <laughs> yeah, he, he like gets halfway yeah. sent back for a while, and then yeah. he materializes late. He's, he's having a hard time crawling out of yeah. the wormhole. Yeah, so. for yeah. for weeks. Right, he's stuck there, and so I'm he's wondering. He's having a hard time getting up. Yeah, so how does he? How does he survive? He has no food, no water. 
he doesn't even really have anything below his waist. And so how do you pee? Mm, this is true. Ask Darth Maul. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Should we just move on and talk about the Terminator? Yeah, sure. Let's do okay. <laughs> we got our four points of right. litigation. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we can talk about it. And there's an additional point that, that we, we will probably bring up about... Well, I guess you kind of have to say, how, what, what do we think of the adaptation? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting. I thought I thought the bringing in the soldier antagonist from the future. Yeah. What did you changed. think about not having long-haired hippie philologist? Uh, <laughs> well, that, that's the kind of thing that bothers a Colin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't recall that he was a hippie. Oh, right. Yeah, neither did I. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, <laughs> and he read it that. yesterday. So. <laughs> Literally. That was just the one thing I noticed, because I, I, I watched the episode before I read it. Oh, okay. All right. So what did you think of it as an adaptation? Well, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. I, you know, I don't think he was going for a uh, strictly faithful adaptation. He was trying to no, make a little more no. cinematic and build it out to a full hour. This, this is one of those cases where you kind of just have to go with it, because he wrote both of them, so you can't really fault him. <laughs> sure you can. I, I'm fine telling authors they're wrong. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, all the time. So, The Terminator, 1984. Yes. Uh, let's talk about our first experience with The Terminator. So, when did you first see it? Oh, oh my goodness. Boy. Probably a VHS rental from the video store in Cottage Grove, Oregon. Nice. Yeah, I have no idea when I first saw it. Uh-uh. <laughs> so, I first saw it on television. Because, you know, you know the television right. world premiere of The Terminator. And Megan, I think, had seen it. Mm. My older sister. And so, we recorded it. So, that was the, the way I watched it the first right. 20 times. Was off of television. I'm sure it was probably like... Uh, which binged on TNT back in the day. <laughs> uh, TNT didn't exist back. back this in, is pre-cable, buddy. Oh, yeah, yeah. we're we're Good old. Point. Remember? Yeah. yeah. Yes. No, old. this was on like NBC. Well, no, I mean when it was on TNT, like yeah, in the nineties, yeah. probably. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, but anyhow, I saw it off, taped off of TV. So it was kind of a shocker when I finally saw it. Like my friend right. got cable. Yeah. And and we watched it on HBO, and I went, "Oh wow, there's a there's a lot of naughty language yeah. in this movie, <laughs> <laughs> and some nudity." Yes, but I've yeah. always been a big fan of the movie. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. Yes. I've I've been listening to some other podcasts that have been talking about Terminator and Terminator 2 and, and other things. And Terminator mm-hmm. 2 gets a lot of love. And it's a great movie. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. I'll watch but both. I, I still like... Couldn't help it. <laughs> I still really like Terminator. And I feel like, yes, some of the effects have not dated very well, um, not mm-hmm. aged very well. But I still think it's kind of cool. I feel like they both movies right. go well together. One and two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can chalk the rest of them. <laughs> I like Terminator 3 more than most people. I need to watch it one of these days. You've never seen it? I have never seen it. Wow, okay. How come you still say that? They don't exist. <laughs> We've known each other. It's like episodes one through three. For like 15 years. <laughs> well, there's, there's, it's a wonderful life and there's Terminator 3, you know. I shouldn't be as surprised about Terminator 3. True. Um, it is not one that you True. should immediately go out and see. It's currently on Netflix. Yeah. I, I think it's better <laughs> than most people think, but it's not great. Yeah, I don't remember. It's been so long since I've seen it. It has some real problems. I love the way it ends, though. So, Terminator Salvation, I have nothing good to say about. Is Salvation the one with Christian Bale? Yeah. Okay. I'm having a hard time even remembering Terminator 3. That's uh, how long it's been Christana since Logan? I just kind of forgot about it. That just... Who? Christana Logan? Christiana uh, Logan, yeah. Christiana. Yeah. I don't know who that is. She was the, the Terminatrix. She played Painkiller Jane in the sci-fi uh, adaptation. Oh, right. I remember the ter- Terminatrix, yes. yes. Termi- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. Ter- so, Terminatrix. Terminatron? Matron? So one of my one of my problems with Terminator as a franchise is it doesn't have a whole lot of internal consistency. I like the fact that the first movie right. is more or less a closed loop. It's machines mm. from the future send this thing back, you know, to kill somebody, mm-hmm. which causes the conception of their greatest enemy and also causes the company to come to be. And we'll talk about that with the deleted scene later. Right. Um, but Terminator 2 makes it explicit that 
that that's right. what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's an ontological paradox, fine, but it works for me. Where Terminator 2 then starts to get into the, okay, now we can change, we mm-hmm. can actually change things and create paradoxes and it's fine. Um, and then Terminator 3, and, you, and it just, Terminator 3 opened, or sorry, Terminator 2 opened everything up for the possibility of Terminator Genesis happening. Pandora's box, which, you know, If you think is a good thing or a bad thing, whatever. Right. I actually enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> it's not good, but I enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, Terminator 2 was the one that, that really let them muck with time and just right. get away with whatever they wanted to do. So, well, you're already mugging with time, why not? Right, yeah. But but the first Terminator, I really like. It's it's a different tone than Terminator 2. Mm-hmm. It's more it's more of a stalker horror movie kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the soundtrack? A lot of synthesizer. A lot of synthesizer. It is... Uh, Very 80s. It's not, yeah, it's, it's not good, but I kind of love it. Right. Anyway. <laughs> I, cer- I definitely like like the Terminator theme, that boom, 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 that it does. Yeah. I think yep. that's, dun, that's really dun, good. It's really dun, effective. Dun, dun. Yeah. They mentioned the... Uh, so... Again, I'm going to make a plug that if you're going to take the time to watch one of these movies, go get a collector's edition or a full featured Blu-ray. Oh, yeah. Because I actually saw a featurette talking about the music that was created. Hmm. This was not made in a, in your big classic movie studio. This was made in somebody's garage basement. And he had all these things running and he had to keep them aligned by hand. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, there were, it was just, it was really interesting to watch. There's a couple parts where I swear, like his cat started walking over like a Casio keyboard or something. That very well could happen. <laughs> I liked all the little, they really aren't cameos, but you know, Paul Winfield is in there. Oh, Paul Winfield. And Bill Paxton is in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I love Bill Paxton. And Brian Thompson. Thompson. And Brian Thompson, <laughs> whose name I forgot. Thank you. And uh, Lance Henriksen is in mm-hmm. there. Yep. So all these, you know, not massively popular, but not unknown characters. Art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actors yeah, were there. Yeah. It was pretty cool. Yeah, I love Brian Thompson. He's it, it, it's pretty awesome. I mean, he's like the main bad guy in uh, Cobra, um, Stallone movie. Oh, oh, really? <laughs> Which James has probably seen. Um, yeah. D- okay. Uh, <laughs> I thought I was on my own on this one. Because Colin, Colin was giving me the look. Like, don't don't ask me the question. Right? You know the answer. I have not seen that movie. Um, okay, he played... Uh, Commander Krug in the episode where Riker goes aboard the Klingon ship. Not Commander Krug, whatever it was. Lieutenant Clagg. Yes. yes. Commander Krug was the actual commander. But yeah, he's just kind of a big hulking guy who could ever, only ever play big hulking guys. With with a deep voice. He's kind of like Clancy Brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, when he, get, he gets thin, his cheeks get all hollow and his eyes protrude a little mm-hmm. more. He's, mm-hmm. he's creepy. He's a scary looking dude. So when you guys watch old movies that have actors that you like and, and admire, you might like that movie because that actor is in it. Yes. I dig the fact this is from Stan Winston. <laughs> oh, with the effects? You know, yeah, the effects. These are Stan Winston special effects. This isn't just anybody doing this. It's Stan Winston. Yeah. Well, the, the Terminator walking thing at the end, you know, when it's coming up to the door in the factory. The stop motion part? It, it looks like Harryhausen. Yeah. But, <laughs> but Winston was kind of the inheritor of that mm-hmm. that stop motion effect. And I've seen some featurettes about how they did that, where they, they had like a torso of the, the T-800 um, that they're walking around and having it move and, and stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah. T-800 or T-100? 800 series T-101. <laughs> yeah. It's sure. It's yeah. keeping you legit. Yeah, absolutely. No, I know what I'm talking about. I, I've, I've watched the Sarah Connor Chronicles where they have different, <laughs> actually they have like T-888s, which oh, is the yeah, like 800 yeah. series, but... It's wow. a specific model. Right. Hey, um, should we say that we suck because we didn't even mention Linda Blair once? Linda Blair? Linda Hamilton. The Exorcist? Linda Hamilton. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, and yes. Michael Bain. The, the, she, she is the star of the movie. She is the um, star. Yeah. 
I, well, I guess you could argue that she and Arnold are the stars of the movie. Yes. Right? And, we and, forgot and, to mention him, too. And, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> we, we talked about all the bit players and didn't talk about the stars. Right? And Michael Bean, yeah. Hey, we're just giving credit to the hardworking people who are who are not right. the not the main billing stars. Um, <laughs> I always felt like right. Michael Bean should have been a bigger star than he was. You know, he was in some major right. movies because he's in this, and then he's in Aliens playing the incredibly awesome Dwayne Hicks, mm-hmm. right? and then he was in The Abyss playing a bad guy. Yeah, um, and he does it really yeah. well. Yeah, he does it really well. But but I feel like he just never quite got the level of stardom that right. that his work might have predicted. Yeah, because I think he's really and then good. Like at this. decade later or ish, I guess The Rock. <laughs> that movie's awesome, right? And Navy Seals uh, as well. Yep. Navy Seals as well. Yeah. yeah, and then he's playing the same character in The Basically, Rock. Yeah, oh, maybe <laughs> pretty much. He got yeah. Typecast as yeah. a military guy a and then couldn't break out. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah, yeah. And then he he's, he got entirely cut out of T two. They did film scenes with him. Really? There's, there's so, like a dream sequence. That, oh, there's a dream sequence he's in. Yeah, yeah. But it's not in the movie. Not in the the main the theatrical cut. Oh, okay. we're all over the place. We're not. Yeah, I mean, we don't need to do a plot walkthrough of the Terminator. No, 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 um, because we've also. But you need to get back to our points of litigation. That is probably a good idea. Recap the points, Seth. Recap the points. Okay, uh, soldier from the future. Check. Yep. Check. So which one? I guess we would say that Kyle Reese is the soldier from the future. Or are we saying that no? They're both me? soldiers from the future. Yeah. So it's more. It's more of an adaptation. So in the Outer Limits episode, you have two soldiers from the future. In Terminator, you have two soldiers yeah. in the future. Enemy and not enemy. Exactly. Right, but... Boom. Check mark. <laughs> but their purposes are completely different. Irrelevant. <laughs> who, who, who took James and introduced him to the Borg? <laughs> Insufficient. <laughs> so, yes, they are not explicitly fighting each other when they're transported, right? But they are transported, you know, at, at opposite But purposes. they are at war on opposite sides. Yes, so they, are, they are at exactly opposite said purposes. War. They are enemy and not her. enemy. Yeah. yeah. Right, but... Yeah. You're wrong. <laughs> Colin's digging his heels in on this one. Yeah. <laughs> you can try. You can try. One of them is a human, and one of them is a, is a programmed robot with one purpose. Mm-hmm. See, that's, that's you what I You could arguably think. say that Carlo was a programmed robot with one purpose. Okay, so then who was the human? Exactly. So really, if they'd send back two Terminators, one to protect and the other one well, to kill... Terminator did have human skin covering his body. So I want to talk about that, by the way, the <laughs> physics of time travel in the Terminator series. Right. <laughs> this is actually the whole reason he really wanted to do this, so he could mm-hmm. grind his axe. Right. Can we do that now? No, no. Let's get really? through points uh, two, three, and four. Really, all it does is give him a good excuse to not bring futurist weapons back, right? Yes, that's yeah. precisely what it does. Well, unless he'd put it inside of his body and then you know pooped it out or something. Prison yeah. wallet. <laughs> I don't want to know what that is. I think I think I can infer that pretty well. <laughs> okay, so okay, uh, soldier from the future. Are you arguing no? I'm gonna argue. I'll give like half a point. Okay, not completely off base, right? But not. I don't think it's a slam dunk. Mm. That's me. You guys feel differently. That's okay. You can be wrong. Well, he is a soldier <laughs> from the future. <laughs> now he deliberately comes back in time. He he does, so, and he's human versus you know farm born and raised. Yeah, and he speaks that, English. That's not that's not the point though. Yeah, I, I'm I'm inclined to agree with James here. <laughs> okay, we didn't capture the linguistic thing that I said right. we should. Uh, he is taken into custody, right, right? But not immediately. The strict point that we captured was that the soldier back in time. 
Yes, because because you set this up to <laughs> knock them down to see. Yes, they, they absolutely had a case. <laughs> All right. Uh, yes, he is taken into custody. Bingo. Point number two. Go. I do I do enjoy the interrogation scene where you where you get the exposition about what the future's like. Yeah, um, nice yeah. little bit of world building without having voiceover. It's fascinating though, looking back on the most of the records were lost during the war. Like Skynet's a computer, right? And so yeah, but they wouldn't be sharing that information with humans. No, no, no. But Skynet lost most of its records. So, like, didn't didn't know Sarah's full name, where she lived. They just knew the city. Right. Right, but at, in 1984? Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense in 1984. But yes. when, you, when you look forward from, from 1997... Right, because in 1997, yeah. August 29th, 1997. Right. At that point, the internet existed. You would think Skynet would have had lots of records. Unless, of course, the humans although, did, did something to... Although they, he is saying that the, it was very... What? They turned Skynet on at like midnight or something, and twelve oh four a.m. it became sentient and started nuking everything. Yeah. So that's plausible. I mean, it wouldn't have gathered the whole internet of knowledge in four minutes. Okay, <laughs> and this is this is where you bring right? in T three because Terminator three really goes more into no, the, no, that the nascent of Skynet. I know, but it's like uh, Star Trek. It, I think it's know, really cool darkness. the way it does it, though. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna have to watch Terminator three again because because. I enjoy that more more than most people do. But I'm uh, taking Colin's stance on Star Trek with the rest of the Terminator. My, my argument would be uh, <laughs> canonical to Terminator itself is Reese says their defense group mm. was, was smashed. We'd won, so I'm right. saying they lost most of their records. There didn't mm. have much to to put into the Terminator and send it back. So oh, it was I a see. last ditch effort. Right. Go back. Here's the fragment of database information sure. we have on this on this right. person. Yep. Find Sarah Connor at this place at this time. Yeah. Yeah, in this city. In Los Angeles, yeah. is not. I mean, and, and arguably, how much how much information do we even have nowadays on a particular person? That's true. They, she wasn't famous. No, even John Connor wouldn't have been famous until the the, the war, right? Yeah. Go Google yourself. I mean, how much information do you have? So. Uh, it's a surprising amount, actually. <laughs> when, you, when you think about how easy it would be the Terminator for, for a Terminator to come yeah. back and grease any one of us, uh, good point. It'd, it'd be pretty easy. Yeah, I would be screwed. Not to mention how yes. common a name like Sarah Connor might be. Yeah, because there's one Colin Kuski in the entire world. Oh, really? You are really you? go go. Yeah, there are 600 Kuskies according to Google, huh. and there's one Colin. Interesting. Oh, I am not unique. There's plenty of James Ralston. You're safe. <laughs> He's the guy. I'm I'm friends with another Seth Heasley on Facebook, so I could probably direct them in his way. Yes, <laughs> that um, guy. Yeah. Okay. So point point one wait, wait, point one debatable. Yeah. Point two taken into custody. Wait, wait, wait. What are you saying? Point one's debatable. Uh, we don't have a, a unanimous decision, and since I outweigh and I'm older than both of you, you're right. I guess we I bet I outweigh. All right, fine. We'll, we'll go with not unanimous. That's okay. Good. Right. So two out of three. Yeah, right. two out of three. For point two, he was taken into custody, although not at the same time. No, you mean not 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 on the same time frame? Uh, not immediately. Sure. Uh, longer longer medium. Yeah. So you can you sure. Can... Well, they're trying to develop the suspense, right? Who's really going to kill Sarah Connor? Right. Are both these people? trying to kill her are they a team or are they against one another or I have to say again colin you're going out of the bounds of the point mentioned in the document <laughs> hey, you can go rogue man <laughs> <laughs> you cannot stop a colin you can only hope to contain him yes. i think i said that about you in a previous episode. he just won't stop <laughs> going off this point about um them maintaining the suspense about who's the bad guy who's who's the good guy right? You've sure already seen the terminator knocking in somebody's door and blowing mm-hmm. somebody away um, you've seen that there's two Sarah Connors dead, but you don't necessarily know who killed the second one, right? So they both could be doing it in the movie, right? Um, but then, I guess it's at the point where he comes and finds her in the club, and Reese rescues her. I guess at that point, you know, okay, this guy's 
not a bad guy, right? Yes. Come with me if you want to live. But it's interesting because... Exactly. Yes. That iconic line. Very much. Which they've managed to put into all the other movies. Um, of course. Really? Well, maybe not all of them. I know the first three, at least, and the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Um, right. Summer Glau says it in that one. Um, but, uh, Summer Glau is awesome. Yeah, she is. <laughs> that show was pretty cool. Yeah. We should have got her to be on our podcast. We Agreed. Suck. Yeah. Um, but uh, when, they, when they run out of the club, that's the first time you get the machine view, even before you know he's a machine, which mm-hmm. I think is fascinating. Oh, yeah. It's, it's an interesting directorial choice because you haven't, you haven't been told that he's a machine yet. Mm-hmm. And then there's that whole scene where they're driving, mm. you know, balls to the wall through Los Angeles, and he's <laughs> introducing himself with name, <laughs> rank, and serial number. Sergeant hey, Tech Con, right. you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, didn't even think of that. Um, but he gives her the whole download about stuff, and then in the parking garage, he finishes that. that, that and I've always loved that He scene. finishes the, he finishes that dialogue lifted from The Outer Limits? <laughs> is it lifted? Oh, that, that, the serial number? Uh-huh. Yeah. No, 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 no. The, his, the name part, not, his name is not Carlo. No, the part where he's talking about how the Terminator you know, has no pity, remorse, blah, right. blah, blah. And... You should send me that link, and I, right. I, will, I will put that in the show notes. Will do. I don't think it's lifted, because Carlo doesn't have love or hate. <laughs> I know, neither does the Terminator. Yeah. Pity, That's remorse. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. All right. In, 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 in that dialogue sequence, uh, Carlo and Terminator are the ones that are being equated. Right. Right. Which... Yeah, that, that throws a monkey wrench in your convictions about the first point. but <laughs> No, my point is very specific. Okay. <laughs> it throws a monkey wrench in Colin's not very specific point. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm not, I can't do the math on this in my head. All right, so let's move on. Uh, point three. Point three. Well, point, also so point two is a check all across. Unanimous. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. You may, you may move forward. <laughs> so uh, an enemy also comes through. That one's pretty hard to argue. Was that point? Three? Although Colin's going to argue, it should be human enemy. Although we don't know that the enemy was human. We have a pretty good feel. We just know he's enemy. They both had little helmets to protect their hearing. Mm-hmm. They wore the same hubcap on their backs. <laughs> they had the same gun with different funky-looking sights added on to make them look different. Yeah, they had different backpacks with the tape recorder in it saying "Kill the enemy." <laughs> yeah, so that's something. Uh, let's talk about real quick. Uh, just to take this further, farther afield, and to right. give me more chance to figure out how to defeat these points. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so the enemy is still hearing the recorded voices mm-hmm. and, and when Carlo comes through, he's still hearing these recorded voices or yeah. these voices, which means they aren't being broadcast. Right. They have these things piping, or kill, they? find the enemy, kill. Yeah. Cause I, I, I if thought you in the put the sunglasses were... on, you hear the message. <laughs> well, also too, the, uh, the helmets have an antenna on them. And so and I thought they were being they receiving... piped until the guy went back in time. And then I was like. Uh, wait a minute, how's that supposed to work? Well, maybe they think they're being... Unless telepathy crosses time boundaries, which is quite possible. Well, and, and he, he was... The enemy was splinched, so he's actually holding the time vortex open with his body. Uh, yeah, and that's, that's right. how it's coming through. Yeah, he's trying to tear the world a new wormhole. No, but, but, right. but he's, he's already through when it does come through again. He, I think he gets right. it while, while we're in the alley, I think. Mm. I You're right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that was a cool idea, though. Thanks. My theory... What was point They're three? being controlled by a computer in the future. They're not. They're, there's no actual. Well, no, I'm, I guess I'm saying there's a computer broadcasting it. No, the computer just puts the things on them. No, because they, they have the psychotic cats. Yeah, I know they're receiving the. Well, <laughs> I mean, cats are part of the evil regime. Obviously, this is true. Right. Um, are, you, what you're really saying is that Robopocalypse is a total ripoff of this, with machines controlling humans. <laughs> well, yes, definitely. <laughs> okay, just so that I'm clear. Yes. Uh, exactly. Daniel H. Wilson, if you'd like to come on our podcast, we'd still love to have you because I had yes, reached out and it was come on this podcast. It was totally going to happen a while back. He's like, "Can you come to my house?" Because I'm very, very lazy, <laughs> and then yeah. we just couldn't make it work. So we'll be back. Yes, get we'll your movie out. 
Speaking my counterpoint is, "Dear's your house, have beer." I'm gonna put I'm gonna put a link in the show notes to a video of like uh, Arnold talking to George Stephanopoulos, talking about how he almost ruined the iconic line because oh, yeah. he didn't feel like his Austrian accent worked with saying "I'll be back." I'll be back. And he, he was saying, "No, it'd be more like a machine if I said I will be back.'" And Cameron's like, "No, no. do the line the way I wrote it." <laughs> and he was absolutely right because that that line launched a, a thousand ships. And we all know from watching Star Trek The Next Generation that androids and robots can't use contractions. Except when they can, because Data totally did a couple times. Right. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I don't remember from the first Terminator, but I do remember in the second Terminator that he never uses contractions. That I, I can cannot self-terminate. Explicitly. Yeah. Hmm. And most of the dialogue I can remember mm, yes, he does. from Terminator 2, he uses not contractions. Okay. He shoots, Unless he's he trying to... Be he shoots s- the guy at the guard gate at... Pescadero Mental uh-huh. Hospital. And he says, wait, wait, what are you doing? He'll you live. swore you wouldn't kill it. He'll live. Uh, That's a contraction. He'll Touché. live. Yep. Okay, <laughs> never mind. Oh, he's you, terribly inconsistent. This is crap. Yeah. <laughs> I read the novelization of Terminator 2, I think before I saw oh, Terminator nice. 2. And there's a, a much more extended scene in the future, basically at the end of the war, mm-hmm. where they send the Terminator back. Because canonically, according to Terminator 1, mm-hmm. Reese says, nobody else comes through. Nobody goes home. Nobody else comes through. I went through and they blew the whole thing. Because they, they they wanted it destroyed. No, he now, said, that's he said the he information came through and they blew the whole thing. Right. He exactly. doesn't know that they could. He doesn't know that they actually followed through. Yeah, exactly. He knows what they told him. But right. if you want to be eight o'clock in the morning about it, it's mm-hmm. there should not be any sequels because they couldn't send anything else through. Mm. Now then, Sarah Connor mm. Chronicles—they're constantly sending people through. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. That. Uh, yeah, I, I thought Terminator Two worked because of the introduction where where she's like, he, they did send two back. He just, and it's plausible to think to know right. that Reese wouldn't have known about the second one. Yes, it absolutely is, because he went through. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't mind that, so I don't consider that to be an 8 okay. o'clock in the morning All right, episode. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm being more Colin than Colin is. <laughs> Whoa, more Colin than Colin is. Be wary. Uh, but, yeah, in that, in that, it just shows that they, they sent the one through, and then they, had, they found evidence that the T-1000 had gone through, right. reprogrammed one, and sent it back through. And it doesn't matter how long it takes you to reprogram it, as long as the timeline doesn't refresh like in um, right. Sound of Thunder, or Frequency, <laughs> um, yes. in Waves. Um, because you could send it right. back three years from now to the same time, and it's still fine. But uh, We need to wrap it up. We need to move more quickly. Yep. Okay, so, uh, enemy, yes. We're, we're, are we good with enemy? I can handle an enemy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, point number four. This town needs an enemy. No, it's an enema, right? Yes. Uh, defense of a thing. <laughs> That's what I wrote down. <laughs> uh, well, like, like I said earlier... So Reese comes back and defends... Uh, Laura Hamilton, Sarah Connor, yes. Yep. There, boom, when done, I win. That was the point of her coming back, but in Soldier and Soldier from Tomorrow, because I got it right this time. Very nice. That doesn't happen. It's not there. It does happen in Soldier. They're sent back by accident, and no, it totally doesn't happen. Yeah, he defends the family in Soldier, ambiguously, but still defends them nonetheless. Yeah, we don't know. He ends up defending them. No, we're we're not litigating Soldier from Tomorrow. We're litigating Soldier and Terminator. <laughs> and in Soldier, he does defend the family from being harmed by the enemy soldier. But does he defend the, the family, enemy. or does he kill his enemy? Indeed. That is the question, which is open-ended. But we can't answer it, because that's what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> I think what we're going to prove here is that as long as you set up the criteria so that Terminator is an adaptation, um, then, then you can prove then it. Then I can win. Right. Well, <laughs> I think there's another point in our favor, and, it, and it's this. 
Orion Pictures settled with Harlan Ellison. They did. If there was substantial legal evidence, it would have produced a document that I would have found because legal documents are public. <laughs> yes. Uh, they're not public in this case because they didn't go to court. If right. if they had gone to court oh, right. and it had been litigated... Mm-hmm. Then we would have found the... Yeah. We would have found the legal document. And yeah. it, it wasn't. And... You know, yep. it's. I think it's totally appropriate to try and give somebody yeah. a nod if they're holding up your multi-million yeah. dollar. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. From what from what I understand, from reading several articles, it was the the bulk of it was that they had a quote unquote witness in that common friend between Ellison and Cameron, right. where she where she was willing to testify that Cameron said he ripped off a couple outer limit episodes, outer limit segments, and he was very and one of his um, icons from the that age of reading sci-fi was Harlan Ellison. Harlan Ellison. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So there's that, which could have, which may have won them in court. Who knows? But it was enough to, it was enough to make the production company nervous. And the production company went back to Cameron and said, if we lose, we're coming after you next. And Cameron didn't have money back then. Right. No, this is one of his first films. Yeah. So yeah. He, he's like, okay, I, 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 I don't like it. But I give up. I, I oh, can't. He has nothing good to yeah. say about Harlan Ellison. Oh, yeah. No, no. But yeah, this is the film. On his that, website, he calls him a parasite. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is the film that got him aliens because he wanted yeah. to do, he had pitched the idea of aliens and like, well, what have you done? Mm-hmm. And so they decided to, to watch what he did with Terminator. And then based on that, they're like, okay, yeah, this guy, this guy can handle it. Yeah. Um, so it worked out. I think it's funny that it's just acknowledgement to the, wor- the works of Harlan yeah. Ellison. You know, it's not... <laughs> Uh, we acknowledge or anything. Yeah. It's just acknowledgement, like as impersonal as possible. Yeah. Well, and there I, was some money involved too. Yes, there was. Right. Yeah. I I like the fact that Terminator of the Saracona Chronicles, one of the characters, the FBI agent, his name is Ellison. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, and uh, the female Terminator, played by Summer Glau, is named Cameron. So, <laughs> oh, right. That's right. <laughs> and the two don't get along. So, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So, James, are you saying you rule in, for, in favor of the plaintiff? Of course. They ripped off the entire first like, three minutes of the episode. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So, yeah. so when I, I, I overtly ripped that off. So when, when I first watched the Outer Limbs episode, mm-hmm. the first visual that pops up, I feel like, is it very much evoked by the first visuals of the Terminator, mm-hmm. where, where it shows the yeah. future kind of landscape and has the stupid words over it, which are completely unnecessary. Right. I, I was realizing this because I watched it on Daily Motion, I admit. And like it, it missed that layer of the encoding for the video, and so there were no oh. words. And I'm like, uh, if you just started it with with the Terminator coming through, everything is explained the rest of the way through. You don't need yeah. the machines rose from the ashes of the nuclear fire stuff, right. which I have memorized mm-hmm. um, along with the rest of the movie. <laughs> um, yeah, I could yeah. screen sync this one. Um, yeah, it it's very evocative of that. So I feel like that that visual piece is to me like the most damning evidence. Mm-hmm. Right. But other than that, I don't see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Colin, you don't see it? You know, despite the four points which were set up to make it look like it does, <laughs> aside from that, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I'm... I mean, I get why they settled. Mm-hmm. I get why they settled of. more than I get how they could have won, really. But <laughs> Right. Yeah. And that, we, yeah. It, it, a Terminator came back and, and told them not to go to court because they'd lose for some reason. But right. And Skynet wanted them to, I guess. Well, 
and depending on how the money is set up or the financing, they might have had to take a loan out. And so now you're paying interest on this stuff and you can't make any money off of it because it's you can't release it because you're tied up. Well, yeah, and they couldn't right. know that the movie was going to be a smash either. I mean, and it's not like it did right. absolute gangbusters business. It, yeah. it was pretty cheap and it shows a little bit. Um, and it made, it was a, it was definitely a hit and made a lot of money, but yeah. not like Avengers money. No. Well, Avengers money didn't exist back then. No, it didn't. <laughs> but I, I don't remember what the budget and Not Star Wars money. Was. How about that? <laughs> Look it up real quick. Sure. I definitely like a couple of the visual things that are done with the movie, like when Reese pulls into that construction site and there's that, yeah. there, there's a tractor moving there and it just matched uh, yeah. on, that, on that wheel to the, oh, the God, cuts right killers. Transitions to, yeah. The... So a budget of $6.4 million, but a box office take of 78 That's pretty good. You yeah, make that's, more that's than good. 10 times your yeah. money. Yeah. That's one thing I liked about the uh, Al episode that you didn't get to see. The what? The Al episode. The transitions. The scene transitions I thought were good. In which one? Oh, in this one. In this yeah. one. Oh. Yeah. Like he would put yeah. his hand down on a <laughs> handle and it turned out you were already in another scene. Oh, nice. But yeah, it looked like it was, it was a continuation of the previous yeah. scene. Right. It was well done. All right. We were to wrap it up. Are we going to rank these? We always rank them, right? <laughs> we only have to rank two of them. It makes no sense right. to rank them, but let's do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll rank them first because I'm going to be the controversial one. Okay. I'm going to put Terminator in a class by itself. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then I'm going to talk about, uh, yeah. So then I think I'm going uh, original story and then episode. Okay. Yeah, think, I'll go with that too. Okay. Yeah. I, I'd probably have to go that way too. Although only I, since I didn't get to watch the whole episode, I'm not sure. Right. So Take abs- our word for it. Seth abstains other than Terminator wins. Okay. <laughs> the 12-gauge autoloader, phase <laughs> plasma rifle from the 40-watt range. <laughs> Just watch your seatbelt. I used to do that actual dialogue with some friends. Wow. Weird. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Back in high school when you could overtly talk about guns. Right. Oh, yeah. And not get kicked out of school. <laughs> the Jeez. 80s, man. It was a good time. I think we're are, wrapped. Are we wrapped? Okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, let's not talk about what we're going to ne- do next. We will probably do some Twilight Zone, but we haven't picked the episode yet, so we will let you know on social media. Yep. If you guys have a favorite Twilight Zone episode that, that is adapted, uh, give us a shout. We'll think yep. about it. Yes. Game of the Glass Hand. <laughs> That's Outer Limits, man. It is. Oh, you said Twilight Zone. zone. Damn yes. it. All right. Yes. I was totally yeah. thinking Outer yeah. Limits. My bad. <laughs> okay. Uh, I just like that episode. Well, everybody, um, we're jumping in here at the end of the recording because it happens that after we recorded and before we posted the episode, Harlan Ellison actually passed away at the age of 84. So we wanted to at least say a few words because we haven't always said nice things about Harlan Ellison. We did not love a boy and his dog, for instance. We did say nice things about him on the iRobot episode about his brilliant screenplay for iRobot. It was a great screenplay. It was. And, uh, you know, Harlan Ellison, just kind of a retrospective thing here. I mean, he... uh, he was kind of dedicated to the short fiction, right? Now, a lot of the kind of famous science fiction authors are in novels, but his his short fiction was kind of his his thing, and he was a master of it. Um, I'm not saying I loved everything that I read of him, but um, I always found it compelling, at least. Lots of times disturbing. I will recommend, uh, and I'll put a link in the show notes, um, The Incomparable actually did an episode on Harlan Ellison back in April, I think, um, where they talked about six of his short stories. So if you want to dive into some of his stuff... Um, that's a good place to start, and they have a good discussion there. I learned that he had a big influence on Babylon 5, and I oh. really, really enjoyed that series. All right. So, you know, I appreciate his contributions to that. Yeah. Well, and if nothing else, we'll, we'll continue to uh, invoke him. we talk about the definition of science fiction, right? Because we've, we've always kind of talked about that, about <laughs> what's the difference between nice. sci-fi, you know, just sci-fi and science fiction. And at least uh, gives mm-hmm. an interesting tidbit to talk about. 
So, so before, previously when we recorded, uh, we had recorded a very flip outro about about Harlan Ellison, um, and it doesn't appropriate anymore. So um, we just wanted to get together and do something a little better. You know, our, our, our thoughts are with his wife. It's sad news when somebody passes away, but his work will live on long after him. And I, I'm not really sure I feel like doing a normal blessing kind of thing. Uh, I got a blessing we can try. Okay, go for it. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the second time traveler always be on your side. Oh, there we go. That's appropriate to go with Terminator. I like it. And of course, you know, even though it's a little somber at the moment, it's going to lead right into the blooper reel. <laughs> so, uh, which was pretty epic for this episode because there were some fits and starts in there. Um, and then and then I have the clip of Arnold talking to George Stephanopoulos about... Uh, oh, my. I'll be back versus I will be back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so enjoy that, everybody. And, and uh, yes. we will talk next time. So bye. Uh, so we'll, we'll go around in a circle like we normally do to my right and then to you. And then I will hand off back to you. Okay. Okay. I'm uh, I'm better with my okay, left he, hand. He always goes second. But okay. we'll Seth's a lefty, though. We'll go to the left. <laughs> we'll do it live. Today we will be talking about an adapted work by Harlan Ellison called Soldier from the Future, adapted into the Outer Limits episode, Soldier, and perhaps, maybe legally, adapted into the movie Terminator, a small flick you may have heard about, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. Soldier from Tomorrow, by the way. Soldier from Tomorrow. I was, re- I was right. literally rehearsing it in the car, and I kept saying, Soldier from the Future. <laughs> so, so I can't... Can't uh, knock you too much for that. No, one take. Yeah. I mean, hey. Yep. Not too shabby. What you looking at, Colin? My microphone turned off. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> All right, speak into it. Let's... Check, check. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Maybe turn that level well, up a little bit. Well, <laughs> damn. <laughs> uh, how much have you talked at this point? Like the whole intro. Just the whole intro. All right, uh, we'll go back to the the intro, and then uh, I'll, I will I'll make it work. <laughs> so. Crap! <laughs> Is he gonna do the, redo the intro then? Oh, I think he has to. Oh, I don't true. think there's any choice. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All right. Well, okay. we can always come back and do the intro later after we're done. We'll fix it in post. We'll do it live. We're doing it live. Yeah. <laughs> Are we gonna do the the intro? Oh, you want to retake? You want to redo it now? You want to redo it at the end? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I figure we redo it. I, I need time to sit and feel stupid about what I did. Okay. I thought, so. I thought we were just brainstorming here before we got back into it. So. I, li- I like to marinate oh, no, my no. stupidity and failure and shame for a while, and then re-record things and try and make them better. All right. There you cool. go. It makes you a better person. Builds a character. Colin needs a little distance from the incident to process it. <laughs> need my space. <laughs> no, he said, I'll be back. Oh, it was the same model, but... Right. And so, I read the novel... You suck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we gotta redo the. All right. Okay. I think I'm getting texted by my wife saying, "I thought we were." I know. <laughs> patch it back in from there, and we'll patch it back together yep, from there. We'll see. That was so bad. Oh, how can I not turn on the microphone? You gotta tell us the story about uh, the Terminator. You almost ruined the signature line. I'll yeah, be back. What's my, that about? Well, it was, I, I could not pronounce 
uh, really well this aisle. So I just kept saying to Jim Cameron, maybe I should just say, I will be back. I said, sounds more like a machine, I will be back. And he says, no, no, no. He says, look, I don't tell you how to act. Don't tell me how to write. I wrote the line, I'll be back. So why don't you just say this? So I said, but it sounds really weird when I say it with my German accent. He says, I don't care. He says, let's just say 10 different ways, and then one will work. And so that's what we ended up doing. And uh, then when the movie came out, I remember I was here in New York for the promotion, and I walked uh, down uh, uh, on Park Avenue, and this, uh, this uh, one fan came up, and he said, say it, say it. And I said, say what? And he says, say the line. Said, I'll be back. And I said, I'll be back. He said, no, the way you said it in the movie. And I said, I'll be back. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, that's the way. I realized how powerful that line was and what a big hit it was. So and James it became Cameron now, was right. Yeah, he was absolutely right. As always, he's always right. Always yeah, James right. Cameron is never wrong. 